Good morning. It's been half term this week. Any of you kind of been on half term? Yes? Had a good half term week? Andrew's been away on holiday. For those of you that don't know, he very modestly didn't say this morning, but their daughter got engaged. Isn't that amazing news? We love engagements. And uh, one of our sons finished his finals up at Durham University this week. He was very excited about that. We're hoping that he's passed, given that unusually for students, perhaps, he decided to take a week off before he actually sat his exam. So he was up in Scotland last week, sending us pictures of his time with his friend, kind of travelling around. And we're thinking, shouldn't you be revising? But he thought he, you know, he had it in the bag, so decided to take his week off a week early. If you're a visitor here, we're uh, continuing our series of uh, looking at encounters uh, that Jesus had with different people, uh, different men and women in the Gospels, and encounters that those men and women therefore had not only with him, but obviously with the kingdom. And we are seeking to learn as we look at these encounters, what we can uh, to draw from those stories so that we can be better equipped for those kingdom encounters that the Lord wants to lead us to in our green spaces as we seek to uh, share the love of Jesus and the truth of his reality and his kingdom with them. And the story we're going to look at this morning, we've already had a glimpse of it in our kids' slot, uh, can be found in Mark uh, chapter 5. If you've got a Bible or your phone and you want to have a look there, it's going to come up on, well, it's up on the screen in a moment. I have to say, it's one of my favourite um, gospel stories, maybe because it involves a woman, and I love the stories with the women in, uh, maybe because it, it sort of involves one of Jesus' more unusual questions. He was somebody who always asked, was always asking his followers questions to get them to think. But I kind of think his question, and uh, you know, we'll read it in a moment, but you know, it's the story of this woman who encounters him in this crowd and he's being touched by everybody left, right and centre and he asks this ridiculous question, who touched me? You know, which is a bit like being in the sales in London and you know, asking who touched me when thousands of people have been touching you. But I think one of the reasons I I love it is because I've seen God use it powerfully uh, in the lives of others. The last time I spoke on this was uh, I was at a conference in Ethiopia about two or three years ago. And uh, I was speaking on this story and uh, I led a time of healing at the end. And uh, unbeknown to me, there was a lady there that had been bleeding, not for 12 years, but for two years. And God healed her that day. And uh, her bleeding was, you know completely healed and uh, I was sent a picture of her a number of months later with her face smiling because we didn't know at the time she'd been healed and you know it's a story from 2,000 years ago but it's a reality of the kingdom of God today. So why don't we read this story? So just scroll down on my phone because I forgot my Bible and the print's too small anyway. So verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter, she's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman that, had been there, that was there and had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? I think that was a moderation probably on what they really wanted to say to him. But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and found him. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus replied, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child isn't dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after, all, after he put them all out, sounds a bit like the dog, doesn't it, putting the dog out? After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talisa Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Notice the significance of that number again. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to go and give her something to eat. I love it. He's so practical as well, isn't he? She's been dead. She's awake. Now she needs something to eat. Now, we can let this passage, this beautiful story, this beautiful encounter with Jesus, we can let it speak to us in a couple of ways. We could put uh, ourselves in the shoes of the bleeding woman and we could look at her story and draw some lessons from her incredible confidence that if she could just make it to Jesus and touch his garment, she would be healed. You know, it's an incredible confidence that led her to push her way through the crowd and get to him. She was desperate. She was absolutely desperate, but she was also absolutely sure that he could do something about her condition that nobody else could do something about. That in itself, that confidence, I find really challenging. We could look at the story and learn something from her confidence. Or we can put ourselves in Jesus' shoes and look at the way he dealt with her, look at the way he treated her and learn from his encounter about how he wants us to deal with others. And because of the series that we're doing, that's what we're going to go on and do in the moment when we dig into this story. But I just want you to turn over a chapter into Mark uh, chapter 6. And I want you to look at the last verse, which I'm going to read read to you. Very interesting. Verse 56 at the end of the next chapter. Wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside... They placed their sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the cloak, the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Now, where do you think those people got the idea that if they touched the edge of Jesus' cloak, they would be healed? They got the idea because what had happened 
in Mark chapter 5. Now, I don't know whether they'd been in the crowd and they'd watched it happening, whether they had friends that had been in the crowd and discovered the truth that she touched his cloak and the story had spread, or whether it was the woman herself who shared her story. But there were crowds touching his cloak in chapter 6 because of this woman's story in chapter 5. And I do want to say this. Your own story about what Jesus has done in you and is doing for you at the moment is really significant. It's really significant in what you have to share those around you. This woman's story was the story that inspired other people to come looking for Jesus because they wanted what she had shared. And your personal story about what Jesus has done for you and is doing for you is really, really significant. And I want to encourage you this morning not to underestimate it. The facts about Jesus' Jesus' death and resurrection are important. Apologetics is really important. But we are talking about and wanting to share with our friends and our colleagues and our neighbours and the people at the school gate and whatever. We're wanting to share about a personal God. And yes, those around us need to hear the facts. But if they're interested in a personal God, then they need to hear our personal stories. And your personal stories about what God is doing, let alone what he has done, are really, really significant. You have a testimony. You have your own testimony if you already belong to him. And yes, part of it is to do with how Jesus found you, what your life was like beforehand, and what your life has become like since then. But it should also be a testimony about what he's doing at the moment. Grace doesn't finish at the cross. Grace is about what God does for us on an ongoing basis. That's what the book of Galatians is about. It's not, well, he did, it, he did something for us at the cross, and now we get to do stuff for him. Grace is about Jesus doing stuff in our lives, in our hearts, through us, as we journey with him. We don't hand over the pen of our stories, you know, once we begin this relationship with him. Hopefully, he's still writing your story today. And your recent discoveries, your recent what he's been doing in your heart and your life, and the way that he's been responding to you and what you've been praying, that's part of your current story that people around you want to hear. So be encouraged that your story is really important. Okay, back to chapter five. I don't know uh, if Mark, who wrote this book, was a fan of Subway or Burger King. I don't know if we had a slide up here and we were doing favourites and Subway or Burger King, which one you'd put your hand up for. Uh, I have members of my family who are particularly attached to both of them. But Mark was somebody who, when he wrote his gospel, he had this habit of taking stories and slicing them up a bit like a burger and then sticking another one in the middle uh, a bit like the meat in the sam- sorry, slicing them up a bit like a bun and sticking uh, another story in the middle a bit like a burger. So he'd take one story that was slightly less important uh, but could throw some light on another story and he'd slice it in half like you would a bun and then he'd take the main story that he wanted to draw people's attention to and stick it like meat in the middle. And this is one of those stories. The story of the bleeding woman, you probably won't have heard it described like this before, but it's actually the burger here. And the story of Jairus and his daughter is the, is the bun, as it were, and it's, put, it's sliced in half to add a little bit more to the story of the bleeding woman in the middle. 
So they're both stories, you'll have noticed, uh, that have parallels. They're both stories about women, the underclass uh, in Jesus' day. They're both stories uh, about desperate situations where no help could be found to solve the problems from anywhere else. You'll have noticed uh, that 12 years was a significant time for both of them. Both stories are about ritual uncleanness. The woman, she was unclean because of her bleeding. The girl who ended up dying would have been unclean because she was dead. And in the Old Testament, if you touched somebody who was unclean, it would make you unclean. And if you were unclean, you couldn't go near the presence of God. You couldn't go anywhere near the presence of God and you couldn't go near other people. And other people couldn't come near to you because if they touched you, they would become unclean themselves. And in both stories, Jesus touched the unclean person. He touched the woman and he touched the girl. And he doesn't always touch people uh, in the stories in the Gospels when he uh, ministers to them. But Jesus touched both of them. And both of these uh, people get this amazing, life-changing miracle. So there's a lot of overlaps. But I think the most significant thing that Mark is wanting to draw our attention to with this whole sandwich thing is his use of the word daughter. Jairus talks about his little daughter. He comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is in trouble. Jesus calls this woman out of the crowd whom he has healed because he wants to talk to her. He doesn't want her to remain anonymous either to him or to the others. He calls her out of the crowd and he calls her daughter. He doesn't address anybody else in the Gospels as daughter. But he calls this woman daughter. Whose daughter? His daughter. He's addressing his daughter. He's addressing his daughter. And I think Mark is drawing our attention to this by the parallel of the story of Jairus' daughter. Why is he trying to do this? I think he's using a human story, the story of Jairus and his daughter, to ram the point home about the father's heart for us. He's taking a story of a human father, a good father, a desperate father, a heartbroken father, whose little girl is dying and there's nothing he can do for her. And he's desperate for his little girl to live And he doesn't know what to do about this incurable disease, but he wants her to be able to do what all 12-year-olds, you know, do. He wants her to be able to go out and play with her friends and live the life that lies in front of her. He's a good father, and he's desperate for his girl to live. And I believe that Mark has arranged this story and stuck the story of the bleeding woman who Jesus calls daughter in the middle of the story because he wants to say to us, look at Jairus' heart for his daughter. Look at how he feels for his girl. Well, that's how Jesus feels. That's how the father feels for his kids. Because after all, he was there when Jesus said, if you, though, know that you, uh, if you, though you are evil, if you, though you're not as good as God is, you're not good on his kind of standard, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more the Father in heaven, to his. I think Mark is wanting to emphasize, Jesus is showing us what the Father is like, what his heart is for you and for me and for his children. This is the Father's heart on display and Mark is drawing our attention to it. Rescue, 
Both women, both of them needed rescuing in this scenario, and Jesus delivered it. Friends, this is good news, isn't it? He's demonstrating the heart of a father that is good news, and we know that we're charged to take this good news to the world. But what Jesus is also demonstrating, that the good news is more than God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. It's more than God is offering us forgiveness of sins through a relationship with Jesus on the cross. That's all true. But what Jesus is demonstrating is that the good news is even bigger than that. The good news is about a kingdom. A kingdom that is embodied in a king that makes a difference in scenarios like these. I don't know if you've, uh, has anybody here downloaded the Kingdom Come app, Thy Kingdom Come? Yeah? It's a really great app. I really encourage you to download it. There's some fantastic things on there. There's a wonderful video message, particularly on day one from um, Tom Wright, with a brilliant, probably the best three-minute summary of the kingdom that you'll ever hear. There's an interactive map with lights, you know, where people have... Uh, registered their email addresses and locations all over the world. You can see sort of where people are praying. It's fantastic. And we're praying, as Andrew said this week, we're joining in with this cry for God's kingdom to come. And Jesus is announcing his message in the Gospels is the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come. And as N.T. Wright put it so articulately, the Jewish people of the time knew that life wasn't the way it was supposed to be. That's what the bleeding woman, that's what Jairus, you know, that's what the people knew. It wasn't like it was supposed to be and that their God, the creator God, had promised to come back one day and sort it all out. And Jesus was saying, that time is now. The kingdom of God is here. And in their eyes, you know, in the Jewish people's eyes, their king coming, sorting stuff out, would look like this would look like this. It would be a demonstration of God's love for them as a father and his power available to them as a king. And so Jesus went around doing that, giving the announcement, the kingdom is here, the king has come, the kingdom is at hand, and he demonstrated it as well as announcing it. That's what he's doing in this story. And he demonstrated it by healing diseases, by calming storms, by raising people from the dead, by uh, releasing people from oppression. All of those kind of things that we would expect to happen if the king of the universe was in the room. That was Jesus' demonstration of what he was articulating. And everything he did backed up his message. And uh, in this story, he's confronting, isn't he, physical problems, the problems of physical health. He's demonstrating a dimension of his kingdom, what God wants to do in physical human bodies. Did anybody here play tag when they were younger? Yeah, do you remember playing tag? I used to play tag. I hated it. Do you ever have those dreams where when you're running and somebody's chasing you and you can never run fast enough to get away from them? I have those dreams quite frequently. I don't know what, somebody will analyse me and tell me what that means. But when I used to play tag when I was younger, that, that was what happened to me in, you know, in reality. I could never run fast enough to get away from the person who was tagging me and then I could never run fast enough to tag anyone else. But when Jesus went back up to um, heaven... He basically tagged us. You know, everything has its origins in heaven, doesn't it? I'm sure, you know, God originated the game of tag. And Jesus tagged us when he went back up to heaven. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and you're going to do what I've been doing, so tag. 
And so we were tagged, as it were, at Pentecost. We were tagged at Pentecost, and we were handed the baton to run with it. So we can't ultimately look at a passage like this if we're going to wear the lens of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom of God. We can't look at a passage like this and limit it to Jesus treated a poor broken woman in the same way as he treated the daughter of a wealthy synagogue ruler. He treated them both the same and that's, kingdom, that's a kingdom value and we must follow his example. It's really important. Jesus had no favourites. But we can't limit this story to that. We can't limit this story to the fact that he treats women in the same way that he treated men. He healed men and he healed women. He absolutely treated women with the same dignity and respect and value and honour in the same way that he treated men. But we can't limit, if we're looking at this through a kingdom lens, we can't limit this story to the fact that he treated men the same way as he did women, although we're meant to do the same and follow his example. Because again, it's a kingdom value. Everybody is significant in God's kingdom. Everybody is significant. We have to look at this story, I believe, if we look at it with integrity and watch Jesus demonstrating the compassion of the king, of a father, and the reality of the power of the kingdom. He demonstrated it by healing this woman. And we're meant to follow his example. We've been tagged. Jesus said, you're it now. We've been tagged. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said this, as the father has sent me, he said this just before he went up to heaven and tagged us. Maybe this is, you know, maybe this is his version of tag. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. In the same way that the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now, I'm not going to pretend, just because I've got the microphone, that that's an easy thing to say or hear or wrestle with. You know, I find it personally really challenging. But equally, just because I find it challenging doesn't mean I can put it to one side. Praying for the sick, praying for the miracles that Jesus did, praying for healing is meant to be part of our witnessing. It's meant to be part of our witnessing to the world around us because Jesus said, tag, you're it. People out there need to see signs of God's kingdom in the world in the same way that they did 2,000 years ago. Yes, I can go to the doctor if I have a problem in my body. And God is gracious in the way that he has given us incredible access to medical care. And it's part of an expression of his love. But people need to see signs of God's kingdom in the same way that they did 2,000 years ago. And if we leave all of that stuff to the doctors, we're depriving people of seeing the signs that they need to see in the same way that they did 2,000 years ago. The first time that this really landed for me uh, was a couple of uh, years after Tim and I got married. I'd been a Christian for about four years and uh, had a pretty sort of straightforward black and white journey, read my Bible, you know, hadn't been part of a church for very long. And uh, my mother was diagnosed with uh, a stage four cancer, ovarian cancer. 
She had an operation. They found a, a tumor inside her, her stomach the size of a, a grapefruit. It was inoperable. And so she was told, uh, you know, if they did nothing to it, she would live for a few months. And, uh, but if she had some chemotherapy, um, you know, she might live for a few more years. And uh, that was, you know, it was a shock for all of us. It was a shock for her. It was a, a shock for my family. It was a shock for her friends. And I remember going to uh, our life group at the church we were at uh, that evening, sort of reeling, as you can imagine, asking people, you know, please can we pray for my mother's healing? Because, you know, I'd read my Bible and in the Bible, if you were in, you know, if you needed healing, well, you asked Jesus for healing. And uh, people were really kind and they prayed all kinds of prayers, but nobody prayed for her to be healed. And I don't blame them. You know, I, I think probably it was a massive scenario. It was a huge challenge. I don't know how much faith there was in the room, but nobody prayed for her to be healed. And we were a bit desperate and, you know, we had our Bible and we thought, well, we need to pray. And Jesus says, when you face tough stuff, you, you be praying fast. So for six months, she had six months of chemotherapy. We prayed and we fasted and we just contended and believed that God was going to heal her. And when she went back for her scan, to see how much the tumour had shrunk six months later, they could find no trace of the tumour at all. And nobody was more surprised than the medics because that wasn't on the list of options. My mother wasn't a Christian. You know, it was pretty challenging at times to tell her that we were praying for her and at times to ask her, could we pray for her? But when you're desperate and you want to see God's kingdom come, you do desperate things. And so, you know... The question, you know, that I wanted to ask, as I, we shared with her and reflected on, is why didn't she become a Christian? Because she didn't become a Christian. And I thought, you know, well, if she sees a miracle of God, she's going to become a Christian. And don't we often think that, that somehow the miracles are going to persuade people? Jesus never says that. He demonstrated his power because he loved people. And the kingdom of God was at hand. And how they responded to that was up to them. And my mother didn't become a Christian at the time. But God demonstrated his love to her and his power for her. And when I led her to the Lord about 22 years later, as she was the week before she died, it turns out that what he'd done in her life at that point in time was an ingredient on her journey to getting to the point where she wanted to give her life to him. And we don't know what God is going to do with these things, but we are, we are tagged. He said, you're it. Now, this kind of thing raises all kinds of questions. If you're like me, and you know, whenever we talk about the subject of healing and us being involved, us being the channels, us being the vessels that God wants to use, it raises all kinds of questions. And they're really valid if we wrestle with them. But we're not allowed to let those questions just become shields that we hide behind. And yes, we've all, we can all, you know, many of us can run to stories of, well, we prayed and somebody didn't get healed or whatever. And we need to wrestle with things like that. You know, Jesus, his disciples were always, always had permission to ask him questions. And so often he responded and opened their minds to understand. But do you know what? Obedience in the end to Jesus is not dependent on understanding. Our obedience to him should never be dependent on understanding. It should be fueled and dependent on our trust. And it's not really trust if we understand everything. And Jesus said, didn't he, that the kingdom is now and not yet. There's a not yet dimension to the, to the kingdom. And we see that. And it's very hard to hold those two things in tension, that the kingdom is now and the kingdom is not yet. And we haven't got time to go into that. But that's not an excuse, friends, for us to shrink back 
and hide behind the kingdom is not yet. When Jesus says, the kingdom is now. Some of you will have heard me say this before, that John Wimber you know, read his Bible and saw you know, signs of the kingdom and wanted to see those signs of the kingdom you know, in his life, in his ministry. And he prayed for every person that he met who was sick for 10 months before the first person got healed. Imagine if he'd given up after six months. Imagine if he'd let his questions and his disappointment and his discouragement derail him after six months. Imagine if he'd given up after eight months. Do you know, we can understand a certain amount, but there will always be a dimension where we go, I don't understand. But because Jesus said, as, I've sent, as the Father sent me, so I send you, I'm just going to respond in obedience. I went to a, a hospital in, um, in the General Hospital in Cheltenham a few weeks ago with a friend uh, from this congregation because a, a work colleague of his had a friend in hospital with um, terminal cancer and this woman wasn't a Christian but she was open to being prayed for. So the two of us went and we went to pray for her and you know, I'm going to be honest, we didn't see anything uh, happen in particular while we were praying with her. We, um, we went away, we heard some news uh, a few days later that certain things, certain small things in her, in her body and in her experience had improved, but she wasn't healed as far as we know. But do you know what? She was still grateful to have been prayed for. She was really grateful to have been prayed for. You know, we're not in charge of the outcomes but we do have a choice to make as to how we respond to this commission to be, uh, to be tagged. And I guess one of the questions for us to wrestle with, you know, maybe this morning, maybe this week is, you know, what do I, be- what do I really believe about God's kingdom? Do I really believe that he wants to use me to see his kingdom breaking out in the lives of others as I tell them or as I hope to be able to share something about the lo- love of God with them? For some of us, maybe we're not sure that we have any kind of level of expectation of intervention of the God's kingdom when we reach out a hand and pray. You know, it's good to put our level of expectation under the microscope every now and again, isn't it? Maybe for others of us, you know, we're pretty convinced, yep, I know I'm tagged, I just don't know how to go about it. I want to encourage you, I know Andrew's already shared it, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't already made plans for this weekend, to sign up for this third-person conference as Becky and Paul come, because they're going to be teaching, and they're going to be equipping, and they're going to be unpacking you know, more of our ministry, as it were, of the kingdom to those around us. And uh, it will be a great opportunity to hear more stories, to wrestle with some of the questions we have, and actually to receive practical teaching about how we can be better equipped and prepared for the kind of encounters that God uh, wants to give us and continue to give us for us to step into. Jesus said this before he died. Same book, John 14. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. You know, that's a different way of saying, tag, you're it. I'm not here anymore, but you are. So you're going to be doing those things and you're going to be doing greater things than I did. I don't know how you feel about that. You know, in one, in one part of me goes, wow, that's amazing. And another part of me goes, whoa, that's really scary. <laughs> you know, I'm human like the rest of us. But that's his description for his tag team. 
right there. That's his description for us. You know, he wants us to be a team of people that are full of expectation that, you know, where we are and where there's an opportunity before us, we're the vessel through which his kingdom can break into the life of somebody else. So let's acknowledge it again this morning, friends. Let's wrestle with it. This is a huge call, isn't it? This is a huge call on us as a body of people. And it it does involve a huge resistance to the stuff that discourages us and the stuff that puts us off. John Wimber had that in Spadelows, as far as I can see. It's a huge call. But do you know what? We have a huge God. And our huge God wants to do huge things through ordinary people like us that make ourselves available and step out and step in when he puts an opportunity in front of us. So why don't we stand? For those of you that are visitors, we just like to end our times together with an opportunity for prayer for those of us that want it, for God to just seal in our hearts what he's been saying to us and an opportunity for those of us that just know that in these moments he's calling us to respond to him. So I just I want to ask you to put your hand on your heart actually this morning. Just put your hand on your heart. Why don't you close your eyes? And let's just invite the Holy Spirit to seal in our hearts what it is that he said to you personally. Maybe you just want to take a moment just to allow him to highlight to you what he's saying to you personally this morning. Maybe it's something I've said. Maybe it's something that you've heard throughout the celebration. Maybe it's something he's just whispering into your ear at the moment. But just invite him in this moment to speak to you about what it is that he wants you to hear from his heart this morning. (coughs) Holy Spirit, just come and speak to us or underline, highlight, Father God, what it is that you want each of us to allow to be planted in our hearts this morning. And Father God, we ask you to seal that. Seal that truth, Lord. Seal that gift in our hearts. Plant it, Lord. Plant it, Jesus, and help us to water it. that we might take another step into the life that you've called us into the life that you've called us to as your tag team Jesus, Jesus God Lord and maybe actually in your own heart you just might want to offer your own prayer back to the Lord with what he's said to you
you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this is a story about a kingdom encounter. And I just believe if you're here this morning, and particularly if you need a healing miracle in your body, if, you've, if you're in pain right now, or if you've got some kind of condition that actually you would just love the Lord to break in and heal, I want to encourage you to come forward this morning so that we can pray for you. And you may have been prayed for lots of times before and be thinking in your heart, what's the point? But do you know, Jesus always blesses us when we're prayed for. He always blesses us when we're prayed for. So if you need a healing miracle in your body, I just want you to come down to the front. And if you want to pray, I know there are some people here that love praying for healing. I know there's others of us that would just love to step out and get some practice. And as John Wimber used to say, the meeting place is the practice place for the marketplace. What we can't do in here, you know, we won't do out there. And so this is a great place to learn to pray. You know, there's no special way. We just need to bring our best prayers and our best expectation and God does the rest. So if you, if, I'd love to encourage you to come and pray or to come and be prayed for if you need some kind of healing miracle in your body. If you're, if you're longing for some kind of breakthrough again that you just know God needs to break in in a particular situation in your life. Maybe, it's, maybe you're looking for guidance about something. Maybe you've got a relationship issue. And again, you just know that you need some kind of breakthrough. You need the kingdom to break into your scenario. Again, come to the front and let us pray for you. Just share very briefly in one sentence what it is that you need prayer for so that the person praying for you can pray specifically and powerfully for what it is that you're here for. And I just believe that there are some of us that just know we need courage. We want to step out into more of these opportunities, but we just know that we need courage. Do you know when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes and He releases the boldness in us that we don't have in our own strength. So if you know that you need courage, just come again to the front. Come to the front and somebody will pray for you and the Holy Spirit will give you His courage. <laughs>